And I'm recording on my Zoom. Okay, and it looks like I've got Audacity going here. All right, so we are ready to go. All right, so let me, and I'm going to play the sound, so I'll take us in and out of the sound, so you'll, so you'll know when to, when to start talking, all right? Okay. Okay. You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 275. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another local maximum. Uh, and today we are joined by Aaron. Aaron, how you doing? I am doing well. Glad to be back right. on the show. It's been a while. I'm pretty exhausted here. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, you <laughs> could see I'm in a new space. You're in the same space, although behind you is the podcast desk. Uh, <laughs> so, um, all right, this is my Stanford, Connecticut local maximum studio. This is also where I'm working every day. Uh, how'd I do? It, it looks, looks good. Sleek and modern and, and clean. Uh, un, unlike my workspace, which, uh, still has boxes that haven't been unpacked from, from when I moved here mumble mumble years ago. Oh, well, well, it's only that you can't see all the boxes at my feet because I'm at my standing <laughs> desk right now. Strategic uh, so, place, camera placement is important. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, that is that is very important. Um, yeah, and, and right, I got the standing desk. So this is interesting. We're going to try to do the podcast standing today. Um, and yeah, I've been here nearly a month. Uh, I know you, you were supposed to question me on Stanford before we get started. We've got some more topics. I'm going to talk about my time at Columbia Data Science Day, uh, some, some Twitter fun, and probability distribution of the week, and we're going to wrap up. Awesome. Yeah, so let's, let's dive right in. Uh, so, so you are now you know, officially in Stanford. You, you have been for, yes. for almost a month now. Um, but right. like you said, this is the first time recording from, at least from, from your new studio room. Um, right. Are, are, are you fully settled in or, or there's still some big milestones for things you need to do to get the, the place feeling like home? Uh, yes, uh, there are. No, I'm not fully settled in. Uh, I think part of the problem is you move in on day one and then you even unpack, largely unpack on day one. And it's like, OK, great. Or day two. And you're like, great. OK, I'm here. I can start working. I can do whatever I want. But then over the first few weeks, things start accumulating where you're like, oh, I don't know where this is. I don't I have a toothache. I don't know where the pharmacy is. I don't know where to go. Uh, you know, I, I, I I'm, I'm missing something and I don't you know. And so. It's sort of, there's sort of like an unsettling feeling that comes around or like mm. I'm dealing with the building where, you know, my old building let me do X and my new building won't let me do X. And, and it's like, well, I didn't know that, you know, so things like that, uh, that come up. And so that's sort of, uh, frustrating. I have to, um, I have to register the car eventually, but I want to keep that live for your die license plate as long as, uh, <laughs> as long as possible. Um, and, uh, yeah, still, still exploring, um, so, you know, I, I started a new job, very small startup, like seven people. Um, I actually, it's weird. So w when I first decided to move to this area, it was like, well, all the opportunities that I'm seeing are in New York City. Turns out my job is remote, so I really don't have to be near New York City after all. But uh, I did feel like 
I was traveling down here way too much and having family down here uh, and um, and also having lots of like industry events and stuff in New York. Uh, I thought it would be good to uh, come down here uh, just to try to get my career restarted, if that if that makes sense at all. Yeah, I mean, I know there was a lot of... We'll, yeah. we'll talk more about Columbia Data Science Day uh, in, yeah. in a little bit, but but so you've been into uh, New York City uh, multiple times since you've moved down. Oh, yeah. I would say like once a week at least. Awesome. Uh, it's certainly a heck of a lot easier than when, when you were up in New Hampshire. That, that yeah, being said, and I did it. What, what would you say is the thing you, you miss most about New Hampshire at this point? So I miss I miss being able to come over to your house, and I miss having you come over and do the podcast. That's one for sure. Um, you know, I I definitely uh, I definitely miss going to uh, some of the like New Hampshire events. The, all the friends I met in New Hampshire from New York, the Free State Project events, uh, and I it's. Interesting. So now I'm in kind of a more urban area and we could talk about this. It's sort of, um, so I've, I haven't been in a house since I graduated college. Uh, but, um, I, I sort of miss being able to walk outside and have all the nature right there. Mm. And, but, but I also had, you know, I, I had lots of stores and stuff. I still lived Everywhere I've lived has been right near a mall, and this is no exception. There's always say, there's, there's a mall in New Hampshire. Like, certainly wasn't rural, but no, uh, you know, you you did have the the what is the the rail to the trail, rail trail right right behind right. you, and and so it was easy to to get away from the mall, even though it was conveniently located, and not feel like you right. were living in a city. Now look, uh, there are some nice parks here that I could walk outside to, so that's good. And maybe I just need to do a little more exploring. I didn't find the rail trail in Salem on day one. But downstairs here is, so on the good side, it's like, hey, I can go out 10 at night, 11 at night. There are bars open, people having fun, whatever stuff happening. But it's also like New York where there are some like weirdos about. You got to like kind of watch out. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it's... Uh, I have been able to drive on the good side here. I have been able to drive to some parks, like state parks, and even Devil's Den, even to, even all the yep. way to Weston and to beaches. Um, actually, I'm finding those things are a lot more accessible here by car. Uh, so whereas New Hampshire, yeah, all that stuff exists in New Hampshire, but I have to drive like an hour. Whereas here, I have state park. I tried. Uh, I went to the Mianus. I think it's called Mianus State Park today. Have you ever been there? I, I didn't know it existed. With that one, no. no, it's in Stamford, Connecticut, um, and uh, and it, I did some hiking on the trails along the river. And I kind of I overdid it a little bit. I I went too far in, and I was alone, and I was listening to a podcast. And then uh, so I was like, oh no, it's going to get dark. So and I was getting confused because of you know it was it was a conf the trails were confusing. I was almost at the end, and then there was a narrow part in the path, and then a deer walks out and just stops right in the narrow park of the path. So I have to kind of like tiptoe around the deer being like, I'm not here to hunt you. It's okay. Like, you know, and just make sure that, uh, but so that was a little harrowing earlier today, but I think, uh, I think it turned out all right. Uh, but I do miss, uh, I, I feel like, an, so, so there's, there's, there's a positive and minus, there's a plus and minus when it comes to the wilderness. Like there, there's some things are, in New Hampshire, I had more stuff that I could walk, like I'm, I'm in a, a much more urban environment right in my immediate vicinity. 
medium di distance, like 10, 20 minute drive. I have really nice places here. But New Hampshire had, uh, you know, uh, much more to do in like a longer drive, if that made sense. Like, you know, you could go skiing or you could go, I don't know. I, I But I feel like it's more just, I, I miss not paying taxes. Uh, that's kind of, that was kind of nice. I've already started paying state taxes. Yeah, and sales. I, guess, I forgot. I guess this past that, week was yeah. tax day. Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't pay state taxes um, uh, uh, this week, but I, you know, I'm, I'm used to, you know, having something get ringed up and not having it add a few dollars. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of nice no, about New Hampshire. But yeah, I just think it's just a very different culture. And it's, it's almost like I need to have a step in both. It's like I like I like both areas, and there's there's nothing that <laughs> there's nothing that'll satisfy me. It'll always be a grass is greener on the other side type thing. So maybe maybe in the long run, I've got to get a uh, got to get a vacation home up there or something, or so, just so, crash your place. <laughs> so I, I I got a couple other quick ones for you. So uh, you know, with with the move itself, which which mm -hmm. thankfully that is that is over now. Like you said, there's still a lot of a lot of little things to get squared away. But uh, what what was right. the toughest part of the move? Uh, the toughest part of the move that is or or most stressful part maybe yeah i'm i'm kind of turning up blank because i'm i i feel like the fact that i had to move so quickly because it was such a it, I, I decided on my job at the last second so i didn't want to move right away and like i i think the facts i think searching for apartments was very mm -hmm. stressful yeah, you did move pretty quickly on that yeah. Then I think there was the stress of having the movers come in and I did have them pack this time, but it was kind of like, Ooh, they're going to be going through all my stuff. I, you know, that was a little <laughs> bit stressful. Um, and then I, I felt like, I, I feel like it's a little better now, but for, for the, the first part, I, I was having trouble figuring out how my, um, furniture will be organized. And this place is a little smaller, you know, New Hampshire has, more space associated with the apartment itself is not much smaller, but it's still, I feel like the, the bedroom is larger. So like the living room, like the couch doesn't quite fit in there. And I think, uh, and I was also trying to make, uh, my podcast desk fit in the living room. Um, but it didn't work. So all the furniture, all the, all, both the podcast and the workspace are in this room. I kind of wanted to separate it. It didn't work out. And then I put my ottoman in the bedroom. So it kind of worked out. So it's, okay. it's, it was hard to make it feel comfortable. No, I think nothing, nothing also, got lost or damaged in the move. No, no headaches with that. Uh, no, no. Everything that I searched for, I found. Uh, but you know, there were a few things that were like, oh, like I left it with so and so, or you know, like yeah. So, but I, I'm pretty sure nothing got lost. Um, everything that I looked for, uh, there were a few things that took a while to find, but everything I looked for got found. I built this bookshelf, this new bookshelf over here, because. The New Hampshire apartment came came some, stocked some with bookshelves. Yeah, yeah. So I had to put together a lot of furniture. I got very. It was. Um, uh, do you enjoy putting together furniture, Aaron? Because uh, I, on uh, one uh, hand, I enjoy it, but I I think my wife enjoys that process more than I do. Really? She, okay. She she finds the the uh, you know assembling IKEA style furniture to be uh, meditative. Wow. Yeah. Me too. Me too. But there was one issue with this this desk that I'm here now. I ordered a desk online and I put it together and it was kind of rickety. It was large enough, but 
at the end of the day, I decided, you know what? I'm going to return it. So I, I deconstructed the whole desk. The box. I had to get it back <laughs> in the box. I had to take it to, uh, to the UPS store. And, um, and now I got this other desk, which is that, I'm, that you could see right now, which is so much better. But it was just like, uh, and then this desk takes another couple weeks to come, and I'm still working at the kitchen table, and it's not very comfortable. And, and I had to you know, figure out my chair situation and all that. So it definitely took a long time to get comfortable. Okay, so you, you mentioned a couple of things that, that, that you like about the, the new location you're in. Um, yeah. You also mentioned when we were talking before that we started recording that you're, you're right near a train station, which is super convenient right. for not going only, to the city and going elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but have, have you found a, a spot, I'm thinking like you know, a restaurant or a coffee shop or, or a, 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 a kind of a hidden gem in, in your new neighborhood that, that you want to yeah. give a shout out to? Uh, so maybe not a hidden gem yet. Uh, so one is the, the, the train station here that, that I'm near in Stamford, downtown Stamford. Uh, it, it is, um, both Metro North and Amtrak. So I can get into New York or, or whatever, anywhere in Connecticut, really, you could kind of use it as a subway, uh, if you wanted to, although you usually would drive. Uh, but it's also an Amtrak station. It's a full Amtrak station. So you could use it to get to Boston. You could use it to get to um, Philly, DC, all that. So that's that's really cool. I'm looking forward to using that occasionally. Um, around here, you know, if I go downstairs, it's not that you know. There's just a a ton of stuff that's open late. There are a few bars. There, there's a um, uh, a Greek pizza place that is open late that that has been really useful. Um, <laughs> you know, you can walk to. There's a. I, I went to. Uh, like a, a sushi place tonight, a Japanese place, did a little takeout. Um, I, there's Curly's Diner, you know, a full diner here, which is okay. Of course, there's Dunkin' Donuts. Um, I always live near Dunkin' Donuts. It's kind of a, a necessity. There's just as much here as there is in, in New Hampshire uh, and, and Massachusetts. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I have, like, a favorite yet. Um, I just have some places that are convenient that I'm trying, but there are a lot of places that are convenient. Oh, I, I did find like, if you go up close to the Merrick Parkway, so I've got to drive, um, then there's one part of town with a, with like, uh, I think a better kind of lunch selection. Cause it's got a chopped, it's got a Rye Ridge deli. It's got uh, Layla's falafel. Those are all very good. So nice. I'm going to explore that a little bit, but so, so- um, yeah. And Greenwich. Oh my God. I went to Greenwich. Have you ever been to Greenwich, Aaron? A, a couple of times, yeah. I, I felt like it was like the metropolis version of the Hamptons. Um, <laughs> it was like, it was insane. Like, uh, it, I, I went it into... It definitely makes you feel like a schlub, no, no matter what your, uh, your, your socioeconomic class is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I go and try to buy things for the... Uh, the apartment, but then they were trying to sell me like, uh, you know, a $300 shower curtain. And I'm like, I don't know if I want my shower curtain to be $300. Some things maybe, but you know, that just doesn't, uh, doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but it, it, at least they didn't give the, the, you the whole like, Oh, if, if you have to ask, then, then you don't want to know the price <laughs> of the shower curtain. Right. And the, uh, there's a whole foods there. That's kind of like a normal whole foods and there's a whole foods, uh, um, yeah. And what, what I like about this building is that, so it, I, I keep forgetting that I have a car uh, because 
It's like you go to the second floor, you you can get your car from the uh, from the driveway from the from the parking garage and just drive right out. And within five minutes, it's not like being in New York where you have an in building apartment, but in building a. a in building a, a garage where that it takes forever to get out of New York. But here you drive five minutes, you're, you're in, in the wilderness. Like, and what I never real, what I, I guess, I guess it's obvious, but, but one thing to keep in mind, like there's a, there's a North Stamford, um, which goes as high as, you know, Weston and Wilton. So literally North Stamford is all just um, like, it, it it basically looks like rural Connecticut that that, yeah. that we both know. Well, ch- changing gears a little bit. So you've you've been at this new job for for a little bit longer than you've been in Stanford, right? Um, what what is it like working for someone else again? Uh, you're you're no longer <laughs> uh, s- solely employed by Local Maximum Labs. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so I I'm definitely um, so. I'm definitely enjoying picking up new problems. I think I'm going to get to build some great causality models that is going to help uh, you know customers drive revenue, which I'm really excited about. Uh, startup is winware.ai. I, I'll just be we don't we don't have to talk about it a lot right now, but obviously it's on my LinkedIn and all that. Uh, and um, so I'm kind of excited to tackle some real world problems because I feel like even the side projects I have are kind of fed with these real world problems, like like new map and stuff. So. I'm excited about that. I'm I'm sort of trying to think real hard about how to get myself and and this might maybe we could do an episode on this because I think this would be an important episode is how do you keep um as productive as possible during the day? How do you keep focused during the day, especially if you work uh, alone? Well, and when you so, solve that problem, I definitely want to hear the answer. Yeah. So I have one thing that seemed to help uh to start out which for me, it works. I'm not sure exactly why it works. I have a suspicion. So I put in, um, not headphones, earplugs. Hmm. Um, there's something about the ambient noise around that like drives me crazy. So um, maybe that'll help. I'll try that. Try to rely more on that this week, and we'll see how it, how it works. Um, other than that, I think you know, uh, try try to figure out how to how to uh, how to put together the schedule. Uh, better to be most likely uh, to, to be most productive. I'm having this problem where like, you know, I'll take a break in the afternoon and I'll be like, Oh, I'll do it the evening. And then, and then I have all this stuff to do in the evening. And then I end up going to bed late. Well, I was going to ask, cause I, oh, yeah. I know you do have some colleagues who yeah. are uh, in different time zones. In, in fact, on yeah. different continents um, has, has that uh, presented any challenges or uh, everybody's schedule is, is all over the place. So it doesn't really play into it directly. Yeah, I think the challenge is just slower. Um, like, if you just have someone working right next to you, it's great because you could bother. I need somebody next to me to bother all day uh, to, <laughs> to ask how to do my job. <laughs> no, but uh, I think um, uh, I, I think that um, just more frequent communication is the key. So, but yeah, there are definitely times when yeah, it's, it's like it's slow, slow feedback yeah, loops. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, uh, enough about that. Let's let's dive into uh, kind of the the main topic of the day. Um, you you went to this uh, Columbia Data Science Day. Was was this last week? Uh, yeah, it was last week. It was at Columbia, so I only had to take the the express train one stop from Stanford to Harlem One Twenty Fifth. So that was great. 
Um, and, and, and this was your first big conference in, in how long? Um, since since in, the pandemic? No, no, no. no? Remember AI? Remember MLCon right. that I went yep. to a few weeks okay. earlier? And that was in episode one, or, or sorry, 273, uh, where I basically ranted about how I didn't like the conference. Right. Uh, that, for, that was your uh, first that. conference back. And I remember because I yeah. did listen to that episode and, and I, I commented to you afterwards that I, uh, I, I like uh, Angry, Angry Max. He, uh, he, yeah. he does a good episode. So I'm less angry today. Uh, this <laughs> conference is way better. Uh, first of all, it had way better sandwiches and way better lunch. And, you know, I get it. Not everyone has the, the best lunch. But what I felt like for MLConf when you're paying $250 and it's sponsored by Amazon and Google, you better have a damn good sandwich for lunch. <laughs> and they didn't have it. You know, is that wrong? I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> and, um, no, so, so there was better like food and coffee available for this one, uh, which I just think Columbia does a very good job with. And the speakers were all very interesting. I think they're really talking about the, the kind of the cutting edge of AI. Um, which you don't have to do to be interesting. I thought NormConf was very interesting, where they talked about, uh, the, I mean, the idea of NormConf was to talk about very normal problems in AI. But, like, I, I, I just felt like they were, they, they, they made a, a much better effort to, to keep it interesting. Well, and I, I was gonna they ask had what, a post, yeah. I, I was going to ask, what, what, what is the mission statement is probably too uh, buzzwordy, but, like, what was the focus of, of the Columbia Data Science Day and, and was it meaningfully different than what MLConf was trying to do? And just one was more effective yes. than the other? Or were they aiming at different targets completely? Yeah, because Columbia focused more on uh, researchers and research. Um, now, the, the keynote was uh, Manuela Veloso. She uh, um, was a longtime researcher at Carnegie Mellon and actually played some of her videos of um, robots playing soccer, I believe. and. The one takeaway on that was she showed the one from like two thousand from nineteen ninety from two thousand seven with robots playing soccer really well, and then one from nineteen ninety seven where they're really bad. And she's like, <laughs> "Moral of the story is you got to have a lot of patience because uh, that was a lot of years." Uh, but um, uh, uh, she now works at uh, J P Morgan Chase and is doing um, uh, is doing automated trading. And I thought that her approach was very interesting and I was very surprised by what it was uh, because it's like, okay, you have, you have numbers, you have ch time series data on what all the prices are, right? And so I think, okay, why don't you build a model on those time series, on the time series data directly? But what she did was she said, look, you look at all these traders all day and you see that they're looking at charts. So she was saying, why not take the image recognition algorithms and recognize images on the charts uh, as, as, uh, as displayed. And so that was, that was very curious to me and very provoking to me because I'm like, well, that, that you're just adding information, you know, that, <laughs> you know, the, the, the numbers are the raw information. The chart is just how it's, for go how it, how it's presented to humans. Uh, but apparently image recognition on the charts, um, well, she thinks it's a good idea. I, I, I assume there's some data to back that up. And so that is, um, that's wild. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's definitely more, it's, it's the, uh, the OCR version of, of uh, 
interpreting text rather than uh, you know doing anal analysis on on the actual underlying text itself. That's, yeah, and, and I, that's fascinating. And, exactly. Oh, and, and, yeah, and, and I'd be really curious how, because uh, one, one of the things that, that, and I don't know if we've talked about it specifically on an episode or not, but um, you, you can do bad statistics, but, but even more common is people uh, representing data in an ineffective manner or, or taking good data and representing it in a way that, that is somehow intentionally or not misleading. Um, and I wonder how that, impacts uh these these kind of algorithms ability to to scrape that data if if it's been presented in a a less than optimal or or you know perhaps biased fashion um, right because there's so many all ways the numbers are still valid there's so many ways to to present these charts um and i assume that no matter how you present it to the machine so long as it's uniform it kind of figure it out but there have got to be better ways and worse ways of doing it uh i, I would assume um, and yeah, it sort of reminds me, so there's a lot of image recognition in some of the posters too. The posters were a lot of like master's students and people like that. Uh, but there were, there was a lot of like, um, glaucoma detection. There was a lot of like, um, uh, medical, uh, kind of stuff. And so not only was it, uh, you know, image recognition for, for medical diagnosis, uh, kind of like we did a, we did an episode in that, um, yep. somewhat recently on, uh, I, I should, uh, with the, the founder, right? Uh, yes, yeah, Susan Conover. Yeah, uh, episode two six nine. But yeah, so I looked at one poster where they were actually um, <laughs> they, they, what 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 they were actually doing was saying, "Hey, the experts are better at this than the machines. Why is that?" They would hook up a like eye tracking glasses to the experts who were looking at these images. And also doing it to like regular people looking at these images and trying to figure out what the experts are focusing on, even mm. if the experts can't say. And I'm like, that just just sounds crazy, <laughs> crazy enough to work. Like if it works, like isn't that that's 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 very clever, you know? Like, well, yeah, cause, cause, it's like this unknown knowledge that that they they can't even articulate. Yeah, oftentimes humans are are able to do something, but not able to articulate exactly how or why they did it. Um, yeah. And that, that's that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the hidden knowledge or dark knowledge, you know, stuff that's learned through the repetition and apprenticeship and, and can't just be put in a textbook. Um, and, and maybe there is a way to capture that. That's, that is, that is in fact, uh, fascinating. Um, thinking yeah. back to, to what you were saying about the, the algorithm trying to, to read, uh, charts and, and parse data that way. Um, one, one of the things that popped in my head that might be, uh, a positive use for that is, you know, we've got that long list of, of worst practices, let's say, for uh, displaying data. And if you could have it go through, you know, uh, scientific papers, uh, whether this is in published journals or, or submissions, and uh, correct for all those things. So if it's, you know, data that's being shown on, on different scales and different charts and, and, and automatically realign that to, uh, to, to force best practices, that, that could be an, a, a neat use for something like that. Especially yeah. if, if you don't necessarily, because uh, I know with a lot of scientific papers, uh, they won't provide the raw data uh, that they used for, for their initial data set. Or, or if it is available, uh, it's, it's not uh, necessarily included with the paper itself. So that might be a, a reasonable use case there. Sorry, just kind of yeah. my, my, no, that... my gears were turning on that while we were chatting. It is fascinating. It's like, it, 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 I, I want to think about that more. Like, why isn't the 
why isn't the underlying data set sufficient? You know, it just doesn't, um, there's some way that I'm thinking that I need to update and I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it is. I kind of have an inkling of it, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Or, or, or the, uh, the frequent uh, use case where you see a chart on the internet somewhere and they don't cite exactly where they got the data from. Uh, and so you, you're, you're kind of trying to reverse engineer the data from what mm. they've displayed. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that, that would, that probably would be very possible with uh, optical recognition. Probably pretty easy, um, to be honest there. And, um, and, and I would expect it can do a lot better than me eyeballing it and saying, well, that, that looks like a 12.5 on the chart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, just from the, but it, so long as the chart is like kind of uniform, like kind of um, uh, created uniformly, uh, like, so long as it's created for, through some software, it should be able to find out, figure out from the pixels pretty much where everything is. Although you you would have some very sophisticated optical, uh, or not, not optical, but image recognition if it's like, well, yes, but the chart could be, uh, uh, you know, produced in any way. We, we don't know exactly how the chart is produced. We don't know the colors. We don't know the line scheme. We don't know the, the points. And, you know, so every chart is a little bit different. But I, I think that, AI should be at the point where that's a solvable problem. Yeah. Now, yeah. Th so, there, there were some other speakers you wanted to talk about, right? Right, right. So, uh, and these were all the panels. The panel is a good way of doing it too. Uh, you know, that that was, um, you see, I, I like the panels better than the speakers. They all spoke for like five, 10 minutes and then they got on, go on a panel and they get questioned. Um, so one of the, the highlights for me was Carl Vondrick who was doing, uh, who's working on something called Viper GPT. And so this kind of takes, you know, your, your chat GPT, which is very bad at math and stuff like that. And also, uh, you know, questions about images and things like that. And then it, it sort of takes your question and turns it into code. So one example is like, how many cupcakes are in this image? Well, it would take that question and then write code being like, you know, look at, you know, look at all these different windows, identify cupcakes, and then like add them together kind of a thing. So it would, it, would, it would take your question and then translate your question into code, then tell you what the code said, and then execute the code, uh, and then tell you the answer. So I, I feel like that makes the AI a lot more transparent and probably a lot more correct in what it's doing. Yeah, um, that's, so that, that's definitely one of the big things that a lot of people are, are looking for. Um, I, I, I don't know if transparency is the right word for, but, but like, you know, kind of legibility for what are essentially black, black box models that if there is some sort of thought process going on here, how can we better understand how it's getting from input to output Yeah, and, and getting some visibility into that is, uh, is, is key to, to figuring out yeah. what, what we can and can't do and, and you know, where, where we should be skeptical and where we should be trusting these, these tools. Right. Right. And so in, in my opinion, the most dystopian one was from Michelle Yu. And I don't think she meant it as dystopian. I actually, uh, she's a, 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 a from, from what I can see, a, a very fantastic, uh, natural language processing researcher. And I believe I've, I've reached out to her to be on the show. I'd certainly reach out again, but her, her demo showed a bot trying to convince you to donate to charity. And I felt a little manipulated by it. I have to say it. I'm like, well, what, you know, 
if you start to train, uh, if you start to train these bots to uh, to convince the the human to do something, and project that out into a future that is, it doesn't even have to be general super intelligence. I feel like you can stumble on heuristics that can get people to do really dumb things really easily. And it's so, that See, was scary. I mean, what th- it came up is, with this was- This is why you need a bot to interact with that bot that yeah. will, will convince that bot that you're not a good target. Right, right. And so it, was, it would say something like, you know, you know, you should give uh, you know a, a dollar to charity, and then then the the response was like, and then the response was no thanks, and then it was like, well, imagine uh, you know if your children were starving, wouldn't you want someone to help them? And then the response was, I think, well, where are their parents? And then it says like, well, these children don't have any parents, so maybe you should give just a dollar and help them out. And then they're like, okay, I'll help them out. But then you do that, and you realize, oh my god. I don't know where the money went. You know, who, who, who's, you know, who, how do I evaluate this charity? Who's, who's, who's asking me this thing? And so, you know, our, but okay, it's one thing if like charities try to, uh, try to compete on persuasiveness of their bots, but then, you know, companies are going to start doing that and governments are going to start doing that and intelligence agencies are going to start doing that if they aren't already. I, I was going to say, like, what, what, oh what is to make us think that this is not uh, already being used as as widely as as is at all feasible that yeah. this is absolutely the type of thing that that's going to be leveraged from day zero well we've all interacted with bots right i mean and so but the idea is the the technology is at an inflection point now where it's going to become really convincing really fast yep so <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I don't know. that's that's one of the things that that i think was was thrown out as as a possibility for um, you know, when when the uh, chat GTP uh, really showed up on the scene, they're saying that if, if you can fine tune something to to be, you know, the ideal arguer for insert uh, uh, philosophical or, or political stance and then you send it off to Reddit or wherever and no longer do you have to spend, you know, 12 hours a day arguing with people about your, your topic du jour, you have a, a tireless bot that can do it. And can fine tune the best arguments to to best convince people of this, and you know flood the zone with that. Uh, yeah, I think that you know I I think the as I've said before the only saving grace there is that there'll also be bots to try to convince you otherwise. Yep. So <laughs> you know we might get a steel manning of arguments in some way, but it might also not be presenting their best arguments. It might be presenting the most manipulative arguments on both sides, which already feels like what's happening. Well, so, uh, d- uh, depends what your objective is. Uh, if, yeah. if if you're trying to get someone to do a thing, that may be the best argument for your purpose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, though, there'll be manipulative arguments on all sides of every issue. So yeah. hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be an arms race type situation where, you know, some evil... Uh, robot doesn't take over the world. Either robot doesn't take over the world. I I recently saw an um, a, a uh, an interview with Elon Musk. I think that was the one on um, on uh, Tucker Carlson where you know, he said, "Well, uh, the host said, well, what you know, uh, what's the problem uh, with these AIs?" And then you know, Elon Musk said, "Well, the pen is mightier than the sword, as they say." So. 
Uh, <laughs> this, these can be the, the biggest weapons possible. Now, I don't know how that looks in practice. I really, I, 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 I really have trouble imagining what, what he's talking about, but we'll, we'll see. Were, were there any other speakers you wanted to mention? Uh, there are a lot of speakers there. There, there are a lot of great ones. I, I think we can move on from here. Uh, yeah, I think we can. I think we can move on from here. Uh, I guess the main news on uh, we could just skip that. Okay. The main news on on Twitter this last week was that um, I became a. Uh, I got a check mark. Uh, <laughs> just as everyone else was was losing their, their you're, you're feeling we're blue. Gonna, yes, we're going to try that out. Um, and then uh, is it called blue sky or it's not called dark sky? That's the one. Yeah, that's, I think blue sky is, is so right. I, I haven't been following it closely, but my understanding was this is something that uh, former Twitter uh, you know CEO and founder tried to launch internally, uh, and and when that didn't go anywhere, he kind of took the idea with him to, to have a more uh, open source i don't think that fully captures it but uh sort of decentralized right so so that uh, it would be an infrastructure that not only that that twitter the the corporation is not the only one that can interface with the infrastructure for microblogging for tweeting that that you could have multiple providers but on the same infrastructure and service so it wouldn't be that you know well you have to go to um what is, is substack notes versus twitter versus whatever Facebook's uh, attempt at, at comp competing with that, that same market space is, uh, that they'd all be able to interface with each other in some way. It's, in, in a lot of senses, similar to a Mastodon-type approach, uh, but, but probably a little bit more user-friendly. Have, yeah. have, I, yeah, have the, I captured it correctly there? Yes. Okay. The initial reviews are that this is better than Mastodon. I haven't tried it yet. I would like to try it. Uh, if you'd like to see more discussion about it, please let us know. Uh, Maximum.locals.com, localmaxradio at gmail.com. I actually do want to mention the, the, the thing I said before, which is, you know, somebody asked me at lunch. You know, I had a very dis interesting discussions at lunch. Someone asked me, how do you get someone to admit the downsides to their creation? I think I was going on my rant about how all the AI for good talks are evil. And one possibility I came up with is ask them, what is the worst thing that someone can do with what you're building? Not that you're doing it. Oh, no, no. Not that you're doing it. <laughs> but what's the worst thing? What, what, what will your worst enemy do with it? And I think that will get people thinking. Yeah, which, which is a, a, uh, a thought experiment that I think uh, many of our listeners will be familiar with from a political context, that when, when passing a law, you have to think not, not what will I do you know, with this power that, that, would, that, that can do good, but uh, if, if my, my opponent or, or you know, the, the, uh, the worst possible person to step into the, the, the position of power uh, has, can wield this, what, what could they do that, that we wouldn't like? Um, so mm. from, from a technology perspective, that that's, that's probably, I don't know if that, that uh, thought, that, that uh, mechanism, that, that thought experiment has a, a particular name or not. But. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to ask, does it have a name? Um, so... Uh, yeah, interesting. All right, before we get to probability distribution of the week, uh, I wanted to mention uh, Perry Metzger, who you've probably inter uh, um, interacted with online a little bit. He had an interesting tweet storm on rationality, which I'll post on the show notes page, localmaxradio.com slash 275. He writes, the way to become better at rationality isn't primarily about knowing Bayesian reasoning or decision theory or game theory or anything like those. Those are usually more interesting to academic philosophers 
than to people actually trying to be less wrong. And I think he's talking about in day-to-day decision-making or even personal decision-making, even of a large nature. Um, And then another quote in the tweet storm, you'll have to go online to read it fully yourself. The practical methods to improve things look much more like reading a reminder every morning about the importance of intellectual humility and much less about uh, futilely trying to calculate prior probabilities for matters where no information exists to allow such calculation. Now, so I, I partially agree. I, I think, um, obviously, I've always been uh, a, a big proponent of, of Bayesian reasoning, and it's helped me solve problems, but it's always been... Uh, it's always been in, in, a, in a situation where it's like, okay, I'm going to decide to solve this really hard problem in the, a Bayesian manner. Like Bayesianism is kind of like the big gun that I'm that I am uh, that I'm bringing out. But most of the times in life, you don't have the time or the energy to bring out the big the big weapons. So um, I feel like this is right, and this reminded me of uh, the episode that uh, I, the interview I did a, a few months ago called Make Better Decisions with Helen and Dave Edwards, which is about, I think, just that. Uh, so yeah. uh, I thought that was just an, an interesting idea to play around. We're bringing up a lot of ideas to play around with today, um, and then maybe we'll, uh, we'll follow up on them later. Uh, all right. So any comments on that, or are we ready for our segment? I, I, I haven't read that particular tweet storm, but uh, I, I know that uh, the, the, uh, the last uh, several months... Uh, have have uh rationality has been maybe uh under a uh more intense magnifying glass than it has been in recent memory between the The uh, ftx uh fiasco uh and and now uh is is much more in the spotlight with uh, his stances on on recent ai developments um so uh hopefully this will will be a uh a a crucible that strengthens uh the the best aspects of of that uh, that intellectual movement and and burns away uh, some of the cruft. We'll see. Yeah, I mean the the, the rationalist movement. All right. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll we'll see. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, um, there was something I wanted to add to that. I don't know what, but I just I, I just feel like, uh, um, uh, yeah. I just want to say I, I was thinking about doing a show on specifically those arguments. With um, with Yudkowsky and all that, I don't know if I did an episode on it. I might have mentioned it a few times, but I feel like I tried to do a solo show on it, and it was just so. It, I found it difficult. So maybe we should do a show about that together. Or I, I I've tried to have him on the show uh, a while ago, but he's uh, he doesn't do podcasts unless uh, unless it's someone he knows personally. I think uh, so. Uh, maybe I'll try again. But uh, I I moved just so he could speak for himself. But yeah, I. Yeah, but maybe we can like dive into these ideas a little bit more. All right, time for our segment. And now, now the probability now. distribution of the week. All right, the probability distribution of the week. And today we are talking about an old timey favorite, the multivariate Gaussian distribution or the normal distribution. Um Okay, so we we spoke about the normal distribution uh, way back. Oh shoot, I don't even know what episode we talked about the normal distribution. Uh, do you do you remember? Oh, so definitely not off the top of my head, but we have talked about it. 
we have talked about it. It was definitely one of the episodes that I'm pretty sure was it one of the episodes that I did with you. I, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the, the main takeaways from that, you know, normal distribution, it's like a, a bump, uh, a, 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 a famous bell curve and all that. I could even write this here. I should get my mini. Uh, oh, I can't draw it very well. <laughs> yeah. This is my attempt here. Very bad attempts. Uh, but, uh, um, okay. There is a um, analog to that in two-dimensional space, three-dimensional space, et cetera. So in one-dimensional space, you have like, you know, your mean and your standard deviation. You're like, okay, what's the average of the numbers that I'm getting? And how far do I expect to venture off from that central value? And because of the, uh, the uh, what is it called? The, the, the central limit theorem, uh, eventually, all distributions, when you run them en enough times, start to look like normal distributions. That's why it's so common in nature. Yep. Um, but you can have distributions on spaces other than on a straight line, other than on numbers. So you could have a normal distribution on a plane. And a very good example of that is like a bullseye. Um, you know, you might think, okay, well, if I have everybody aiming at the bullseye and they're all trying to aim at the dartboard right in the middle there, uh, let's say it's a dartboard, uh, could also be anything else with a bullseye, like, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, you'd think that the highest probability would be where they're aiming. It would be the center. And then, um, you know, as you go further from the center, it becomes less and less likely. And so the, the standard deviation there or the variance would kind of be like, okay, how how good of uh, a dart throwers are these people? Right. So, so we, uh, so we get a distribution that is, that is circular uh, with the highest density in the center and, uh, you know, decreasing as, as you move towards the edges of the circle. Right. Right. Um, and it's, it's just like a, it's just like a normal distribution. Um, and, and then and you can of extend course... that into three dimensions. And, and now we're talking, you know, basically a, a sphere, but with that same kind of uh, yeah. concentrated central core, uh, and, and as we move out in any direction, it becomes uh, more diffuse. Right, right. And, and, and you can talk about four dimension, n dimensions. You could talk yeah, about... In, my brain infinite, is not ready for that at this hour of the evening. You could talk about infinite <laughs> dimensional spaces. And in, in fact, you could talk about it. any uh, vector space uh, can have a, uh, a multivariate uh, normal distribution. So here's an interesting fact, and, you, and you'll get this if you watch the... Uh, uh, What's this? I always forget his uh, what these videos are called. Uh, I'll, I'll link it on the show, but it's called right three blue one brown. I always call it three brown one blue. I don't I don't know why if <laughs> I'm losing it there. Maybe I haven't looked at enough. Uh, but um, the um, so one very interesting thing about the normal distribution in two dimensions is that it's like okay, let's suppose I have that dartboard and I want to create a continuous probability distribution on it. Um, if I assume that X and Y are independent, in other words, okay, like hold X constant and Y is going to be a normal distribution. Hold Y constant and X is going to be a normal distribution. And it doesn't change. Like, you know, if, if I pick one Y and I pick another Y, then the two distributions over X are going to be the same. So okay. they're independent. That's the first assumption. And the second assumption is that the distance 
from the center is all that matters. So if I'm one inch from the center of the board, then I'm going to be have a certain probability, no matter like that circle is all going to be the same. Uh, probably is all going to be uniform around that circle, given that it's on that circle. And then two inches, like yes, the the uniform probability is going to be different. It might be less, but it's it's going to be uniform around that circle. So given that it's on that circle, it's it's it could be anywhere on the circle in the same same proportion, uh, if that makes sense. Uniform. All right. So just assuming independence and depending on the distance is just assuming those two things it has to be a normal distribution. <laughs> Mind blowing. Uh, so that's that's the only one where that works. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, and another thing about the multivariate variate distribution is that in the one-dimensional case, uh, you know, we only have the variance and also the standard deviation, also the precision. But basically, all of this is based on a single number. Uh, those are just different views of the same number. Like variance is the standard deviation squared, and precision is one over the variance. But basically, you know, small variance, it's like really close to the mean. Large variance could be things are very diffuse from the mean. In two dimensions, things start to look a little different. Like you might not have, it might not look like a circle when you do the kind of topographical map. It, it might look like an oval. Mm. Um, you know, it might be stretched and it might be like rotated a little bit. It might be like an oval that kind of looks like a, a galaxy that has been like, like on an oblique angle or something. So, um, that and we would presumably get that by the distributions not being kind of centered in the same place. That that if if the two dimensions are kind of off, right, uh, uh, slightly out of alignment with each other, then then we can get that stretching effect. Right, right. So you, you can get that stretching effect if they're slightly out of alignment, and then you could also get that rotation effect if the two dimensions, if the data from the two dimensions are related to each other. So, um, so that's that's bringing some in, some dependence in rather than being fully independent. Right, right. And so in three dimensional in three dimensional case, you know, it's not just a, a, a ball, but it could be like a stretched out ball, and it could be, a ball if you can imagine could be stretched out in a lot of weird different ways, and hmm. they could have like all sorts of different angles. And it gets worse and worse the more dimensions you go up. And so now instead of having a single number to represent the variance, you have. Um, you have a whole matrix that represents this thing. It's called the covariance matrix. Um, and there are rules as to what that matrix can be. It can't be any old matrix, but uh, it's it's generally like some kind of rotation matrix if you guys know linear algebra out there. Um, so, um, and I can't tell you the rules of that matrix off the top of my head. I haven't dealt with it in a while. Uh, I know it has to be positive and I know it has to be symmetric, but who's counting? Um, so, yeah, so, so that's interesting. So now the, the variance, instead of being a single number, actually becomes a matrix, which is pretty cool. Um, and then the other thought experiment is imagine taking, imagine taking a two-dimensional one and like taking an, an, an oval and having it on an oblique angle and having it stretched out thinner and thinner. So you have like a, a thinner and thinner ellipse that represents your standard deviation, essentially. Okay. Yep. And so like a certain percent are gonna be in there. Uh, and then the next oval around that, like a very large percentage is gonna be in that two standard deviations away. At some point, the data starts to look like it's in a straight line, right? 
And so what's interesting about that is that that matrix is the covariance matrix, and that's kind of the that's the same raw materials that are used to calculate R squared, which is like how related are these variables, or how well can you uh, put these variables into a, into a straight line? So there's kind of like you sort of think like okay, fitting a, a line to the data, and then talking about these these Gaussian blobs have to be two very different things, but they're actually very related, which is which is quite interesting, I think. Interesting. Now, I'm 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 visualizing something that looks a little bit like a topogra topographical map. Uh, yeah, when you started mentioning you, you know ovals inside ovals inside ovals, and, right. and I don't know I don't know what exactly that that uh, visual connection between those can tell us, but but it's it's what popped into my head. Right. Well, I, I guess if if you're looking at a, a, a topographical map here. Uh, I'm thinking, and sorry for these bad illustrations, <laughs> I'm thinking something like this. Yep. And so, you know, most of the points are going to be in the center, and then a few points on the, uh, most of the points are going to be in the center here, a few points in the middle here, and then very sparse on the outside. So, yeah, something like that. And obviously, if this gets stretched out more and more, it's going to end up looking like the, the, the scatter plot has a linear relationship. So, yeah. I, Anyway, that's just, um, there's so much that can be said about these and like how to manipulate them and stuff, but uh, I feel like that's all I, I want to say for today, but that's really cool. Cool. Um, I'm also having, and I know this is an additional distribution, but I'm having a little problem with the literature where, so we talked about the categorical distribution uh, before, and like the literature also mentions it as like the, the, the general finite distribution, and I am having... I feel like statisticians are very confused on what to call it. Some, some just say multinomial. So maybe I'll talk about that again. It's like, man, sometimes statisticians and mathematicians can't come on up with a, a single name for something. So maybe we could debate what it should be called uh, at a later date. But all right, I think that's enough for today. Um, remember to check out the website, localmaxradio.com. Remember to check out the uh, locals, maximum.locals.com, and email us, localmaxradio at gmail.com. Aaron, any last words for today? No, I'm, I'm uh, curious to, to hear more in the future about some more distributions, but uh, I think that's it for tonight. All right, sounds good. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at LocalMaxRadio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.